Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. How many of you guys have identified ways in which your power to choose has been in direct opposition to God's will in your life. Has anybody recognized that in your life? Maybe even like today? Did anybody recognize that today? Like you saw your power in opposition to God's will in your life? Anybody see it today? Come on, it's a fresh day. It's early, so maybe nobody yet. Just give it some time today. No, it's just... So you see this element of, okay, so there's this power dynamic that we have in our life, and You might see others around you as powerful or less powerful, more powerful or less powerful than you. And you might have a competitive grid for what power means. And and, or it might be a financial equation in your head. That power is directly related to money and resources. Or it might actually be about personality type. That power is directly related to A-type personality things. Dominant personality types. But when you read scripture and you begin to understand what God's picture of power is, it's very different than those things. So the power that we're talking about here comes from Acts 1.8, which is, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. So you receive power from God. This is a biblical fact. It's something that we actually all get to receive. So the first point here that I think is incredibly important before we go anywhere else is that even if you see yourself as not a very powerful person apart from God, you in fact have received all of God's power. And if you see yourself as an incredibly powerful human being apart from God, uh, then you got to understand how insignificant your power is in the face of God's power. So in both extremes, a person who's very insecure, that doesn't believe themselves to be very capable or powerful, or the person that is very prideful and arrogant and stands on their own strength and power and ideas, to both of those extremes, there is an invitation to receive power from God in a humble way, in a way that desires not its own power or its own significance, but desires God's power. So at the very foundation of this thing is a seek first the kingdom of God. At the very foundation of this thing is not my will, but your will be done. Foundationally, we must recognize that it's a conclusion we all have to come to no matter where we land on the spectrum of power. We must come to the conclusion, in order to receive from God, we must come to the conclusion that we need God and we want God. If we don't have a need and a want for the Lord, then it's going to be a real challenge for us to truly submit to God and yield our life to God. So when the Bible says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, many of us look to have victory uh, over the enemy, over the things that damage our life, and have that power, but sometimes we neglect or fail to submit. 
So the air of all of this scripturally begins to help us understand that, that God's power in our life is not an affirmation of our power. It's actually his power in exchange for our power or our life. So when you want the life of Christ, it is required of you to give your life. That means all of your faculties, all of your giftedness, all of your ability, all of your resources and strength, all of those in a relationship with Christ ought to be and must be yielded to Christ in order to receive the life of Christ. And this is so clear scripturally, and it, and it helps us understand that, you know, when Paul is, is talking here in Colossians, it goes, hey, look, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled. Okay, so what is Paul asking that you would be filled with, or I would be filled with, or what should we be praying that each other are filled with? It's the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So it's just like I'm saying, the first step here is not to be filled with an affirmation of me, my will, my way, my dreams, but in fact, the foundational element of our relationship with Jesus and being powerful is us actually being filled with the knowledge of his will. So this invites you to have a paradigm shift pretty quick. That if your thinking is that God will come into your life and affirm you of your ways and your will, then you're already off to the wrong step and the wrong foot. And the proper footing in relationship with God is a yieldedness of your will. This is a challenge, though. Because we can get really emotionally wrapped up in our will, in our ways, and our desired outcomes. So when emotions there begins to try and kind of deceive us and tell us our ways, okay, and do some things in our life, emotionally inconvenient is what I consider the walk with the Lord to be. Amen. It's incredibly emotionally inconvenient. <laughs> and yet it's proper. And yet it's deeply meaningful. And yet it has incredible pleasures forevermore is the description of the presence of God. So in a sense, in, in a first couple steps, maybe the first mile and a half or so on this walk with the Lord, you'll see it oftentimes asking you to give your will and your emotions around your will to God. Surrender them up, give them up to God. And the prayer here, and it's why Paul didn't cease to pray for them. It's because, you know, it's a little bit of a booger. You know, it's a little bit of a, a pressing, resilient thing. If you've tried to partner with God in a transformation of your life or in a transformation of somebody else's life, people's character can be incredibly stubborn and incredibly resilient to change. We even start to come up with ideas and philosophies about life that at some point, somebody's just not going to change. Can't, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Have you guys ever heard that? I mean, of course you have. You might have even felt this way about yourself. You might have even said at some point in your life, well, I guess this is just who I am for the rest of my life. But I would warn you against that conclusion because it's not biblical. It is hard and it is resilient. Bondage and brokenness, 
fleshly ways, they tend to be very resilient. And so it does require a certain cease without ceasing prayer focus. Without ceasing prayer focus in your life to go, God, not my will, but your will be done. And to stay on that prayer and to say, God, fill me with the knowledge of your will. Fill me with this thing because I'm filled with the knowledge of my will. That's already default. That's already there. I don't need to ask God to fill me with the knowledge of my will. That's present. And that's clear to me what I want and what my will is. But what requires an unceasing prayer life is God, fill me with the knowledge of your will. This becomes a daily exercise. And this is how people could pray for a long time. And this is because there is, a, there is an unceasingness where Paul says, pray always. And he says, I have not stopped to pray for you. I have not ceased to pray for you. Because it is required of us if we want to truly uh, if we want to truly navigate the knowledge of our will versus the receiving of God's will, it requires a resilient prayer life. So you pray long, you worship long, not because we like repeating ourselves. That's one of the, like, the worst things in parenting is to have to repeat myself all of the time, right? So it's not because of, uh, of God not hearing us, most of your repetition in prayer will be about you hearing yourself. It'll be about you changing your focus over and over again. You can point to pragmatic behaviors. If you have bad habits, in order for you to undo that habit, it requires a practice of the good behavior over and over again until you dismount the habitual bad behavior. So when you're praying for the knowledge of God, God's will to come in your life, it needs to be unceasing because it has to have a greater commitment to the way of God than to the way of man. This is about commitment. This is about conviction. This is about belief. It doesn't, it doesn't commit to striving. It commits to belief and an unwavering belief that God will give to us what is needed for our transformation. But stay in the pocket. Stay willing to just continue to pray and continue to believe. And you'll see that the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God. What creates what? Sometimes I believe we think that the knowledge of God creates the transformation. But in fact, I think what we really have to understand is it's not just textbook knowledge and reading the Bible as though it's just a textbook. Because you can read this just as information. Uh, people have spent their life reading the Bible to simply argue against Christians and believers. So reading the Bible does not necessarily transform you because you can read it just to get information. So it's actually about a desire, an intimate desire to understand what God's will is. Yes, found in scripture, but specifically for your life, there is a will of God that is being established through sanctification. There are seasons of your life and you're going to recognize in partnership with God that he's teaching you something very specific at that moment. So if it's a book, 
You, you know, you don't just open it up to whatever page you desire to be at in your transformation. No, there's a specific point. Like when I was 18 years old, God was redeeming me and my purity. So there was a very specific transformation that he was doing in my life, and it was accurate to where I was at. Today, it's not the same transformational walk. Today, it's not the same will of God being sent into my life and being poured into my life. Today, it's the same God, but it's a different application. It's a different subject in the same school of God. It's a different arena, but it's the same God. So in one season, he might be creating and transforming you to be pure. In another season, he actually might be teaching you to have compassion and care without being codependent. In another season, he might actually be teaching you to be at peace no matter what chaos is happening around you. So it really depends where God's got you. It really depends on where you're at in your life and the season of your life. If someone's passed away in your life, God might be walking with you through grief. If you're in a place of sickness, God might be walking with you in a place of healing or in a place of patience that creates character from endurance through those places of sickness. So I don't know where you're specifically at in your life per se, but I do know that God has a very specific narrative, a very specific truth, a very specific revelation and breakthrough that he has destined for you in this place of your life. God doesn't stop working on you or with you just because you got saved. He doesn't stop working on you because you're a certain age. Or he doesn't wait to work on you because you're a certain age. So when you invite God in your life, he begins the fullness of who he is work in your life. And it's realized through a process of sanctification. Salvation is not earned. Sanctification, though, is a daily effort in partnership with God, saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. So you can point to different things in your life. Like, what, do you, what does your will say today? You'll realize that it says some things, right? Sometimes your will's like, I'm not getting up today. I'm not going to do those things today that are responsibility of my life, right? And sometimes your will will say certain things, but when you're aware of what God's will is for your life, then you actually become very aware of the parts of your will that are not sanctified, that are not God's glory, that are not like Christ. And so you learn to decline those ways. You go, oh, that's not of God. That's a fleshly desire in me. I recognize that. That's not God's will at all. So since it's not God's will, my prayer my unceasing prayer is to be filled with the knowledge of his will so that I could actually produce every good work. So sometimes we get a little bit fatigued on this produce every good work thing and we're like, well, I think I've produced a lot of good works. I think I've produced maybe like 60%, 70% of the good works. That's pretty good. And so we're like, I think I could still go to heaven. And hey, Cool. That's awesome. I want you to go to heaven, you know? And that's awesome. The goal isn't to produce enough good works so that you get to heaven. See, this is just not scriptural, right? It's just not like I'm good enough that I got into eternity. This is not our design on earth. Our design on earth is actually to host God in our life to the point that it creates in us the ability or the power to overcome all evil. 
See, this is the difference. Our purpose on earth is actually one of triumph or power over darkness, power over bad character that is innate to us. See, some of you guys were born with some generational curses, predispositions in your family bloodlines. I recognized mine pretty early. I was like, oh, looks like there's some addiction in my family. So I'm going to have to be aware that because I have a little bit of an obsessive personality type, that I am a little maybe predisposed to addiction. Hey, look, I never drank alcohol and I never did any drugs. And it wasn't because I was a holy, perfect person. It was because I was sure that if I did any of it, it would take my life. I was persuaded that I was not in my immaturity as a young man capable of handing addictive substances without being absolutely owned by them. Watched my family ex express a real struggle in those things. I watched it be generational. I watched it be patterned. And you might see that in your family as well. So when it comes to those places, you realize that you have certain things you were born with. Certain things that were a part of who you were that you get the opportunity to overcome. Because see, when you could say my, my daddy's like that, my granddaddy's like that, my great granddaddy's like that, or you could point to a generational bloodline on a thing, then you can recognize the things in you that perhaps are generational and that God's going to give you the power to overcome those things. See, God does not have to yield to, and he does not yield to DNA potential. This is important. Psychologists will say you're a product of your DNA or of your environment, nature or nurture. But when you have relationship with God, you begin to buy into another variable. And the variable is the work of God in your life to redeem you from those things which have been nurtured in you or that you were born with. And when you buy into the power of God in your life to overcome those things, you realize power is not actually something you exercise so that you can get your will, your way, or your money, or your resource, or your opportunities. But power in your life is actually about you realizing you are capable of changing into the likeness of God in all ways. So if you have the predisposition to be a liar because your whole family lies, guess what? This is not your design. When you recognize the power of God working in your life, you go, okay, not my will, not my predisposition, but the power of God at work in my life makes me a truth teller. So, so I don't know what your uh, sin patterns are per se. But I do know that the redemptive work of God in your life, that the power of God in your life is calling you to transformation. So when you say things like, I'm powerful or I'm not powerful, uh, you, you've got to understand where you're placing your confidence, right? So it's, I am confident that the power of Christ is at work in me. I'm not confident that the power of me is at work in me to make me something other than me. The power of you can only make you you. It is not able to make you like God. You require the power of God in order for you to be like God. 
so we go ahead and we go, okay, look, God, I want your power. Okay, so but for what purpose? It's not so that I can lay hands on them and so they can feel amazing and then I look good when I lay hands on them. It's not so that I can counsel somebody, their life changes, and I go, look at, look at, what, look at what I did in their life. Look at, look at, look at. I'm pretty amazing. I'm pretty wise. I'm pretty awesome. I don't know if you saw my seven testimonials over there. You should buy my thing. You should subscribe to my thing. At some point, we realize that uh, maybe we've utilized the power of God in our life for our own gain. And that maybe, just maybe, the church is the most guilty of using the power of God for their own thing. So when we recognize this, first and foremost, as believers, as people that love the church. Look, I love the church. I also see some of the shortcomings of the church. And so I desire not to condemn the church, but call us as a community to a place of reverence for the Lord to a place of throwing, casting our crowns down before the Lord saying, nope, not my power, not my glory, not my gain. And not in a false humility sense, but in the sense of understanding that this power to overcome was not something innate to me. It was not something innate to me. This is why I count my marriage, my family, my wife as a blessing from God, as something that came as a result of his power being given to me so that I could produce good works and have a harmonious partnership with a wonderful woman. This is why I count those things as a blessing. This is why I say, look, it's the power of God in our life that has led us to be transformed. When we're strengthened, we're being strengthened with power. We're being strengthened with power, which means that at some points there's a recognition that we're going from whatever level of strength we're at to more strength. So as a believer, as a person capable of overcoming, you might actually feel like you're that feeble, weak, paralyzed Christian, barely able to do anything but just sit there and receive. You might feel like you're not actually very capable or powerful at all. But scripturally, Colossians, it's, it's talking and it's saying, look, you are incredibly powerful in Jesus. So you might be a wimpy, worthless human being in your perspective. You really might. You might have heard all kinds of things about how you're garbage and you're crap for your entire life. You might have heard those curses and those lies over your life. I'll tell you what right now, it's, it's, it's important that you know this. Is they might even be right about you, but it doesn't matter when it comes to the power of God. Sometimes we wanna go, look, they were wrong about me or I'm gonna prove them wrong and then we gather power from our, our desire to prove someone wrong. But I would actually just recommend a different way. It's not to make your life about proving the haters wrong, but I wanna invite you to a different thing entirely. And I say, even if you're right about me, even if I am swine, worthless, liar, loser, even if you're right about me, I know a God, I know a God, I know a God that is not submitted to the form that I currently have. So even if I'm starting at the worst of places, the worst, the chief of sinners, as Paul called himself, even if I'm there, even if I'm at that place, God could still meet me on that road he can still have a power encounter in my life that persuades me 
to follow his will rather than mine. That persuades me of who he is rather than persuading me of who I am. So I want to pray for you because, and, it, and it's an interesting thing because when we say things like, I want to pray that you would receive the Holy Spirit. I've got thoughts about this because sometimes we do this thing about praying for the Holy Spirit and we create these ritual ceremony traditions, which it's in order for you to receive the Holy Spirit, we want to lay hands on you. We want to have you stand and maybe lift your hands, close your eyes. And so we do some things, but they're things to just partner. And so sometimes we can get to a place where we actually think we need to do those things in order to receive God in our life. But I want to kind of invite you to a place of realizing that God doesn't really need you to do those things in order for you to host his presence. Right? So you don't need somebody to pray for you in order for you to be living with God, to invite God into your heart. You don't actually need to do a big ceremony about it. You could be in the middle of a business meeting and you could just turn your focus and you could turn your spirit to saying, God, fill me right now. You could say it in your heart too. It's pretty cool. God can hear you even when you don't say it out loud. He knows your heart. He knows what you, he knows those things. He sees into those places. So I want to invite you to either A, recognize the Holy Spirit in your life. This is a person who's already invited the Holy Spirit in their life, who lives with the Holy Spirit. I want you to recognize who he is, what he's doing. Turn your attention to him. Turn your focus to him. So, okay, Holy Spirit, what are you doing in my life? He begin to speak to you, begin to prompt you, begin to give you thoughts, begin to fill you with the knowledge of his will, begin to fill you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Oh. Yeah, God, fill us with your wisdom. Fill us with your understanding. We recognize you living in us. We've given you permission. If we've given you permission, Holy Spirit, we recognize that you live inside of me. I recognize that. I want to encourage those that are there to begin to meditate and reflect on what Holy Spirit's doing as he's living in you what he's touching, what he's healing, what he's breaking, what he's mending, what he's molding, what he's shaping. But for those of you that have never actually given permission for God, for the Holy Spirit to live inside of you, Acts 1.8 talks about it. It said, this power comes from the Holy Spirit coming upon you and living within you. So I want to invite you today to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.